What exactly is on the line in this game against Oregon State? It's always meaningful to play the Beavs, but there are a couple factors that make it even more important. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with all things University of Oregon related. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show, which today is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we will start and end today's show with my guy Max Torres covering the Ducks for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. He's also, he's also the host of the Ducks Dish podcast. We talk about recruiting a good amount here on the show. If you want even more recruiting talk, this is the guy that you go to, and we will get to some a little bit later here in the show but max every time i i have you on i always feel like it's been too long my man so it's good to have you back good to have you on i was literally thinking the same thing the other day because we did the the crazy trio stream with ryan right uh for the washington game but i was like man it feels like a second since i talked to spencer because i didn't talk to you <laughs> last week i don't think uh and you were in eugene so i just missed you which was a bummer yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was indeed. I did catch up with uh, with one of the Duck fans out there. Shout out to, to my guy, Evan, who I met at, uh, at Matthew Knight Arena on Saturday. But let's get to this coming Saturday in Corvallis, Oregon, Oregon State. I, I think the the reason that this is even more important, Max, is, is twofold. Number one, and this is perhaps first and foremost... Oregon already lost to Washington this year. In my lifetime as an Oregon fan, there has only been one season where we've lost to Oregon State and Washington in the same year, and that was 2016, which is not a year we ever need to discuss ever again. I've already mentioned it too much. That, to me, it is the biggest thing that's on the line. I mean, Lanning's in his first year, and he'll have wins against both in, in the coming years and probably some losses with where you know the, those programs are at, at as well. Already got one to Washington, of course. But to me, that rivalry component is the biggest thing. Like Going 9-3, and three, it's not the end of the world. But having two of your three losses be to Oregon State and Washington, man, that would be like the worst possible 9-3. and three. Yeah, no, it would be it would be brutal. Uh, you definitely want to you know show up for this game because it's a rivalry, uh, because Oregon State is you know kind of on an upward trajectory. You want to make sure that you can kind of keep them at bay with that little brother type of relationship they like to have, um, and just because of you know kind of what's on the line. I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, you know in in this episode uh, as far as kind of Oregon's big picture. Uh, with the you know the remaining 2022 season, but you you definitely want to make sure that you can come away with a win here. Uh, the last time they were in Corvallis, things didn't go so well for the Ducks in that fog bowl of a game. Uh, but they they uh, they got that win over Utah, and they really needed it in a big way. So uh, I'm, I'm stoked to see how they can show up on Saturday. Yeah, that was a foggy day in 2020. That whole season really is is foggy. I don't even remember how most of those games played out and whatnot. But including that outing a couple of years ago, the Ducks have lost two of three in Corvallis. It's, it's not the easiest place to win. And by the way, 
This is an Oregon State team that's been really good at home. They've lost just once in the last two years here. That was to USC earlier this season. They've been a great home team. They've got a really good defense. They run the football well. They're limited at the quarterback position. But if they had Bo Nix as their quarterback, they'd probably be 9-1 and one right now. And that's I, I don't think that's that's overselling things. Like if they had better quarterback play, that's what has held them back, but they do have a limited quarterback right there. But the, the other thing on the line for Oregon in this game, Max, is the chance to assure yourself a slot in the Pac-12 championship game. You win and you're in. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, Washington and Utah, they have to win, but then they need Oregon State to win. They need Cal or UCLA to win. Like, they have to get help. Oregon doesn't. And if Oregon loses this game... They could still get in with a Washington State win over Washington, but there are a number of reasons you just don't want it to come to that. Number one, you want to beat Oregon State. Number two, a 10-win regular season, even after a 10-win regular season a year ago, would be really impressive for Dan Lanning and this first-year coaching staff because I think in a number of ways they've been more impressive if they're able to get this win going 10-2 than, than the Ducks were last year. Not as many close games, a lot of comfortable wins, some big wins as well. The last year did have the, the Ohio State win to start the year, but then they kind of peaked and went downhill from there. But I, I don't think Oregon's in that sort of place. And then the other thing is you can assure yourself a slot in the Pac-12 championship game and take a win against a quality Oregon State opponent going into it. I will say, and I saw a couple of people out there speculating on uh, on the YouTube channel about, hey, Oregon wins this game on the road, and then if they were to beat USC in the Pac-12 championship game, does the college football playoff committee have to have to consider him? I don't think that that's I don't think that's in play here, Max. I, I I don't. I think it's you want to beat your rival. You want to avoid losing to both your rivals in in the same year. You want to get to ten wins and you want to get to the conference championship game. I think that's what's on the line here for Oregon. Yeah, that, those those are all good points, and I think that's exactly where Oregon's heads at. I I am not in the camp that believes you know if, even if you dominate these next two games i don't think you're making it back to the playoff that's just the the way that the landscape is at there's such a slim margin for error that game against washington was more than winnable uh and they didn't win so uh you know that's just kind of the reality that you have to live with but i think what's really important with this game and kind of just the remainder of the season is it kind of feels like to me spencer if you lose this game and you can't make it back to the Pac-12 championship. It's it's kind of like you know sputtering end to the 2022 season, um, and it, it almost feels like a little bit of a repeat from last year. Um, even though the end of last year was very unique and not something that Oregon fans hope they have to deal with again with Mario Cristobal's departure, but I think it's just we're kind of at a weird spot right now with this game. And the way that I the easiest way to put it is that Oregon was on such a high trajectory. Uh, before that Washington loss, you know, Dan Lanning's first year is going about as well as you can hope for. And then you lose that game to Washington and you're kind of wondering like, oh, shoot, well, what, what can we do with the rest of the year? Basically, what I'm trying to say is, you know, it kind of um, I feel like it would kind of be a little bit of a dark cloud over the over the 2022 season because you had so much that you were still competing for. Uh, sorry, my lighting's freaking out a little bit on me, uh, but you had so much you were competing for. And then you felt like some wind kind of got taken out of your sails after that Washington loss. You really need to make sure that you, um, you know, show the rest of college football that it was kind of just a little hiccup and, and that you're not going to shoot yourself in the foot, um, you know, moving forward the rest of the way here. So you got to get this win. Hopefully get back to the Pac-12 championship game and, and then uh, go from there. 
Yeah, and I, I think that Utah game was was extra important for that reason that that you alluded to. Like everything was feeling good. You know, a lot of fans felt like they were they were maybe unbeatable, and it certainly felt. You know, even though I had in the back of my mind, like, I, I don't think they're going to go undefeated down the stretch here. They're playing three really good teams. I thought it would be beat Washington, lose to Utah. That they, they end up flipping that. But I, I feel like it's it's easy to get caught in, in the moment, whether it's good or bad. You know, I think a lot of Oregon fans got caught up in eight straight wins. We're just going to keep winning. This is just going to keep happening for the rest of the season, right? No one's going to stop us and whatnot. But it's the same thing on the other side, too, because you were talking about last season and you know, the loss this year was heartbreaking, but it wasn't a calamity. You know, like last year was ugly. It was just, it was just like, wow. Like they never that, had a chance. Yeah, it was like they never had a chance. Whereas Washington, you look at it and go, all right, they should have won the game. They had like a 92% win probability at the end of that Husky game. And then they just let it slip away. You know, like that, that was a lot different than what happened against uh, Utah last year. And so I, I think it's important to not, you know, go too high or go too low either. Like last year was not as bad as it felt at the end of the season. This year is not as, you know, nothing was ever as great as it felt during the, the eight game win streak, though it was certainly very, very good. And then if Oregon were to lose this game, I think it's really easy to just be like, wow, two of two or three losses down the stretch and just kind of lose all the all the fun times, and momentum and great feeling that you had during that, that, that big winning streak. Max will share his thoughts on uh, that particular note after I tell you about Bet Online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting Fix. You don't have to go to Vegas or Italy or use a VPN or anything. Just go to Bet Online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, Max, what do you make of you know that that sentiment that that I shared on the other side of the break? Like, nothing is ever as good as it probably is, but nothing is ever as bad as it probably. It's just such a week to week endeavor in college football, which is why we love it. It can get really easy to get caught up in the moment. Yeah. And I think that's a good way you look at it. You know, a good way you put it is, is that Oregon's offense had been just so unstoppable. Um, and, you know, they didn't necessarily, you know, lose any momentum in that Washington game. Uh, but it kind of came to the point where, um, you know, throughout that whole win streak, you're the, what was the continual, continual question mark every week? The defense, the defense, the defense. And they needed to get some big stops in that game, and they, they weren't able to get it. I don't think that the defense is the reason that they lost that game. I think uh, everyone can agree that it was that pivotal 10-minute drive that uh, resulted in three. Um, I think if you come away with a six there, you're you're we're saying I'm telling a much different story about this Oregon yep. football team because they win that game. So I don't want to spotlight the defense as the reason that they lost that game. But, um, you know, you find yourself in a shootout like they were and the margin for error comes that becomes that much smaller. And I think that some of your deficiencies get, you know, kind of put under a magnifying glass, um, which is kind of what we saw with, you know, Ty Thompson coming in at backup. The, the backup quarterback situation isn't where Oregon needs it to be or wants it to be. Um, and then obviously with some lapses in coverage, you know, uh, on that big Taj Davis touchdown late in the game, like that's something that's kind of been uh, a little bit of a, of concern for Oregon this year. So 
yeah, the, the offense has been phenomenal, but it only gets you so far. Um, you know, this is why the best teams in college football are the ones that have great offenses and great defenses. But fortunately for Oregon, heading into this Oregon State game, they're coming off their best defensive showing of the year. And I think that that's definitely, uh, definitely where you want to be at. Uh, you kind of want to be peaking as a team overall. But for Oregon, I think you definitely want to see that growth on defense down the stretch here. Yeah, I also dig the uh, the white light behind you a little bit. Looks you look like makes it look like you're broadcasting from up in heaven. Like Max is. I mean, we all know Max is an angel anyway. So this is just I I, I think a a codification of of that particular opinion. But I loved what I saw from from the defense uh, a week ago. I think everybody did. And if they come out and and do that again against Oregon State. I think that could be a real turning point for for how I would potentially feel going into the Pac-12 championship game. But even so, I think the matchup schematically and philosophically was was more favorable for Oregon because Utah is so committed to the run, but so is Oregon State. And the Beavs have a great defense, but they're also very committed to, to the ground game. I mean, they look... Aside from the uniforms and the actual players, like Oregon State looks exactly like Utah. They're trying to build their team, and Jonathan Smith is doing so successfully in the same mold as Utah. They run the same schemes on offense. They're defensively led. They're physical. They're not going to you know, beat you over the top. Like it, it is a little bit of a contrasting style here, I feel like, with how Oregon State wins games versus how Oregon has been winning games for most of the season, which has featured, even against Utah, a lot of explosive plays. Yeah, I think that they're uh, certainly uh, a team that that matches up well with Oregon um, with the, the type of football that Jonathan Smith wants to play. Uh, they're definitely kind of, it feels like, a little bit more of a ground-and-pound team um, with, with Martinez running the ball. He's been really fun to watch this year. Yeah, he's good. Uh, and then they have some good weapons on offense, you know, aside from him, right? You have um, you have uh, Jack Vellian at tight end, who's been doing a really good job. Treshawn Harrison at wideout, a former Oregon commit, I might add, went to Florida State. Was he back. Was he really? I knew he was at Florida State. I didn't know he was a one-time Oregon commit. Yes, sir. Former Oregon commit under uh, Willie Taggart before he followed oh, Willie goodness. Taggart he's to old. Florida State. So yeah, he's old. And then, uh, you know, Ty John Lindsay was another receiver that they have that was, uh, recruited by Oregon pretty heavily. Um, you know, he was committed to Ohio state, then he went to Nebraska. So he's been all over the place, but you know, case in point, I think that they have some good weapons that could, uh, give Oregon some, some issues here. Um, but, uh, fortunately for the ducks, you know, the beeves excel at running the ball and that's where Oregon has been really strong on defense. So I think if you can stop the run early, that'll kind of prevent the beeves from doing what they want to do. And that'll allow the defense to maybe take a little bit more control of this game than they've had in the past. And then if they can get off to a strong start on offense, Oregon, that is, then I think that we're looking at kind of hopefully some more similar results than, uh, that we've seen throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, and if the Ducks do get a lead and you're forcing Ben Branson to throw the ball, you know, twice per per set of downs, you know, that, where they're they just can't run it every single time. I think that's a great position for Oregon's defense to be in. And, and I mean, Oregon State's got some solid weapons. Silas Bolden, I, I I think is a good player that Oregon will have to shut down. I think that's a prime candidate for Dante Manning to to cover a lot. I think you, you'll have Williams. Bennett Williams and, and Jamal Hill to to put on their tight end uh, their tight end room because they'll go 12 personnel from from time to time as well and 
you know, Gonzo and Treshawn Harrison, I think that's a great matchup. I think Gonzo is a good matchup for just about anybody that Oregon goes up against, at least from the Ducks perspective. Um, but, you know, they, they very much are trying to be a Utah style team. And I think they have a lot of good personnel. Their offensive line is good. Their running back is good. But across the board, I, I, I think the Utes have stronger offensive weapons like Devon Vele, Dalton Kincaid, Tavion Thomas and Money Parks. I, I think that's a stronger unit across the board than than Treshawn Harrison. Uh, I, I forgot their tight end's name. Silas Golden, Damian Martinez. Yeah. So I, I think Oregon can be OK there as long as their their run defense shows up as it has you know, basically all season long, then I think they'll, they'll be in, uh, I think they'll be in good shape. Wanted to talk about some recruiting though with you, Max, because as we know, recruiting is a 24, seven, 365. Yeah. He's licking his chops out there because he is out there covering this stuff on the trail, specifically for the ducks, talking to recruits left, right, and center. A lot of big names floating out there in the 2023 and the 2024 cycle too, which is just like we were talking about this before we came on the air. Recruiting is crazy. Like it's like as a whole, it is a legitimately crazy. It's awesome, but it is a crazy, wild, insane endeavor as a whole. So you've been talking to recruits on on the ground, following that stuff really, really closely with more than one ear to the turf at a time. What's kind of the the latest with with Oregon's 2023 cycle right now that that you've got a sense of? Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of big names that we're still tracking for the Ducks here in the class of 2023. Early signing early signing period is just about a month away, Spencer. So Oregon's really looking to turn up the heat on uh, some of these guys that they're uh, still pursuing that are uncommitted, or sometimes in these cases they're even committed somewhere uh, at the at you know, where things stand right now. So some of the biggest names that we're tracking, we can kind of talk about some of those guys um, that uh, that have been to Oregon recently. I think David Hicks is someone that we certainly want to talk about. Um, he took his official visit to Oregon, and then I spoke – or he took his official back in the spring, so it was even bigger that they were able to get him back on campus for that Washington game in the unofficial capacity. And he was talking about how even though – uh, that wasn't the best game for them. That They still left a really solid impression. He liked the, that they fought until the very end. Tosh Sapoy and Dan Lanning are, are definitely some of the, the heavyweights there that are still keeping Oregon in the running here. So I think that Oregon feels real good about the, the spot they're in with David Hicks. Um, and I think part of the reason that they feel confident is because they're also recruiting some other guys in the Lone Star State. Final uh, note I wanted to have on Hicks, he took his official to Oklahoma for the Bedlam rivalry, and Oklahoma smoked Oklahoma State. Uh, that was never a game, so I'm feel, I'm sure that Brent Venables and his staff feel solid there because Oklahoma, Spencer, you'll remember, was a big player in that recruitment before he initially committed to Texas A&M because that's where uh, David Hicks is currently committed to. Steve Wolfall reported that he's going to be taking an official out to Texas A&M next month. Um, when I spoke with him, he didn't know if he was going to be an early signing period guy right now. Um, but I guess that's just something to monitor. But for the other guys in Texas, they're kind of all uniquely tied, I think, for Oregon to David Hicks. Uh, the guy I talked to most recently, Ashton Porter out of Cypress, Texas. He's a defensive end. He put Oregon in his top five before visiting uh, over the weekend. And, you know, he was talking about getting – the chance the student section was chanting his name. He just loved everything about that visit. I think Oregon knocked that out of the park. They're looking to get him back on campus for his official visit in uh, December. He's going to be announcing his commitment on January 3rd. 
but he goes way back with David Hicks. He was telling me how they've been friends since the fourth grade. So I feel like Oregon uh, feels like, you know, they can get Ashton Porter in the fold. That would certainly help them with David Hicks. Oregon's also recruiting one of Hicks's teammates at Paytow High School and Katie, Damian Sanford, who's also committed to Texas A&M. They're trying to get him back out on campus in December. Uh, so there's a whole lot going on. And the other note that I was going to say is that Ashton Porter from Cypress, Texas, he's good friends with Terrence Green, one of Oregon's 2023 defensive line commits from Cypress. So probably could have done a better job breaking that up, but I was just kind of giving you the rundown on the Lone Star <laughs> State and some of the big names going on there. Recruiting the state of Texas is a great thing for Oregon to do. And Matt Pallage, or DB's coach, or one of them, I think he's a co-defensive coordinator, safeties coach, he's got ties to that state. And then Lanning and Lupoy have recruited out of that state for, for years from their times, uh, you know, respectively spent in in the SEC. And there, there are a lot of good players there. A lot of good players in California, too. But California, Texas, Florida, those are kind of the three biggest uh, re- recruiting states going forward. But speaking of the state of California, that's where – that's where Mateo. Wait, Spencer, Spencer, Spencer. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Real quick, did, didn't want to cut you off. When is this going to air? Uh, this Thursday. This is this is Thursday. This is Thursday show. Okay, Thursday. Because I I talked about Texas, but there's one more guy I got to hit on. So I apologize for that. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. But this one last one last big name that we have to talk about in the state of Texas is Johnny Bowens. Yeah, he's yep. a uh, 2023 defensive lineman. He's coming off the board on Thanksgiving. He has a top three of Texas, Texas A&M, and Oregon, formerly committed to Texas A&M, but he's announcing his commitment on Thanksgiving, uh, has made numerous trips out to Oregon. I know Tosh Lapoy has been out to Texas to see him in person. I think that Oregon's in an awesome spot there, and I think that they're, they could very well be the team to beat for Johnny Bowens uh, when it comes into his decision. So that was someone that I had to talk about with Texas. Yeah, that so that's happening today as uh, as this episode drops uh, l- later in the day. Yeah, usually that's like late. He, he didn't late have afternoon. a time. I just have a date. So gotcha. We'll have to check yeah. Back. So we'll yeah. So we'll watch watch for that on uh, on 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 Thanksgiving. You can follow uh, Max at M Torres Sports on on Twitter for the latest and all that sort of stuff. But uh, the last guy I really wanted to ask you about Max and you know the defensive line for the Ducks this year has been on and off, you know, always on pretty much against the run, but pass rush, not there consistently. And gosh, getting a, getting a flip from David Hicks. Yeah, that'd be huge. But guy I've had my, my eye on for a while is Mateo Uyunglele, DJ's younger brother for a long time. I've heard from John Garcia on this show that it's Oregon, Ohio state, USC, Bama's kind of in the mix, but not, not quite as, as much. Have you had the chance to, to catch up with him recently? Yeah, I was at St. John Bosco last week uh, and, and got to talk to Mateo. I'm actually going to plan is to see him play modern day on Friday uh, in another big time matchup. But um, yeah, it's kind of been more of the same with Mateo. But um, the in the most recent time that I spoke with him, kind of the same deal there, hearing most from Oregon, SC, and Ohio State. But a new SEC school has entered the mix, and that's Georgia. Uh, Georgia oh, dear. is definitely uh, one of those Ooh. new schools that you want to keep an eye on in this recruitment. Mm. Um, it, it actually might be this weekend, I believe. We were kind of having a little bit of a difficult time narrowing down the date, but I think he's going to be taking an official visit out to Georgia this weekend, if not this weekend, before he makes his commitment. Mateo doesn't have a set commitment date, but he is an early enrollee guy, and that early signing period is a two- or three-day window, I think. I want to say between December 21st and 23rd, maybe. Uh, it's before Christmas for sure. 
But um, I think Oregon's in a really good spot here. But obviously with Georgia, um, you know, emerging here, I think that certainly adds an extra layer of interest there. Um, especially another interesting thing with this, Spencer, is that Mateo told me that he reached out to Georgia on his own accord. So I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic that they're kind of getting involved and it's him that's initiating the contact there. But he's a mm. special talent, great kid, uh, going to be interesting to see where he ends up. That does not make me feel great that he reached out to Georgia. Now, the silver lining potentially or other side of the coin, however you want to look at it, I'll throw out there is what I found talking to to John Garcia as well and, and other guys like you cover recruiting is a lot of times recruits will, maybe not a lot, but like it's it's not uncommon for recruits to kind of weigh all of their options, see what their interest is and see, you know, just like cover all of their bases. Like I expect Oregon to continue to be in the running for him, but that, that he reached out to Georgia. That's a, that's at least a mile. Hopefully it's not indicative of something that we talk about later. Like remember when he reached out to Georgia? Well, here he is committing to Georgia. Cause that's, that's uh that's where he wanted to go that, uh, well, yeah, go ahead. One more thought. I was going to say, I think one of the, the interesting parts with that is that he said that he felt like his recruitment wasn't really going anywhere, but not necessarily in a bad way. He was saying kind of part of the reason for that is because, you know, like I said, it's the same school as kind of every time we talk about him. So he was kind of just circling back around seeing if there's any schools that, that maybe he uh, reached out to and they kind of fell off or he's just kind of, you know, a lot of guys right now, they're the seniors, they're kind of just checking their eyes and dotting their dot. No crossing their T's and checking their eyes, dotting their eyes. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I just did a horrible dotting job Dotting their eyes and dotting crossing their, their T's. crossing their T's. Everybody watching knows what I was trying to say. I can't believe I'm a journalist sometimes because I just can't talk. But uh, I'm trying to give you the latest. And um, I'm laughing. Wait. Some, some extra background on why he reached out to Georgia is because he just wanted to kind of go back and make sure he didn't miss anybody. Yeah, I'm laughing way too hard at <laughs> Because I was just sitting here watching you go through that mentally and the struggle inside your brain was just hard. It was it was like someone was taking a two north ends of a magnet and was just like sandwiching your brain and it was getting clamped by the magnetic field or something. All right. That's as good a note as any to end uh, end today's show. Plenty more beef stock coming tomorrow. Ryan Winter will be here. Max Torres was today. Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated covering the Ducks and he hosts the Ducks Dish podcast. Some Oregon State talk, some recruiting talk. We cover a little bit of everything here on the show. Good to talk to you, Max. Thanks for having me, Spencer. Appreciate it. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.